Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we study research methods in practice. In this episode, we talk with Alejandro Bayer, Associate Professor of Sociology and Director of the Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies at the University of Minnesota. In the study we discuss, Alejandro and his colleagues sought to understand the specific discourse around anti-Semitic sentiments amongst different cultural groups in Spain. This is obviously a difficult construct to study, so to overcome these difficulties, the researchers created homogeneous discussion groups of seven to nine people led by a trained moderator. These group discussions lasted between one and a half to two hours, and the proposed topic was discussed around a table in the most neutral setting possible. Importantly, to facilitate discussion, the groups had an identical structure. Participants are of a similar age, share the same life strata, and have a similar socialization with regard to education, their professional track, their area of residence, etc. Due to this comfort level, group discourse mode developed in relation to the topics established by the moderator. For the researchers, the information obtained from the group is a reconstruction of the meaning we use in our daily lives. We talk with Alejandro about how he and his colleagues conducted this study. Welcome to the podcast, and we're here today to talk about discussion groups. So if you're going to introduce this method to a class who had never heard of it before, how would you describe it? Well, I would say that a discussion group is a device for producing discourses. And uh, these discourses or these meetings uh, where you gather with a group of eight participants, they simulate a normal conversation. But of course, it's, it's a research environment. And what's important here is also the fact that uh, what is said during the group meetings is more than just a simple series of, of statements, because the participants that you invite to participate in the meetings, they carry with them the imprint of the social environment uh, to which they belong. So they're embedded in a social structure, in a social world, and this we can identify later in, uh, by analyzing the, the, the discussion in the group. And we're here to talk about um, a recent paper that you wrote as a better way to kind of understand how this method works. Um, so what were your essential research questions in this project, and how did you start thinking about the design for this project? I mean, the way we, we thought of this, uh, of this project stems out of a methodological insatisfaction, an insatisfaction with quantitative methods in the study of um, prejudices and stereotypes, in particular on anti-Semitism. So there are many, not many, there are a few studies, international studies, that try to look at anti-Semitism across countries. And Spain looks terribly bad in those, in those studies. But what do they ask? They ask things like, uh, I mean, how do you rate uh, the following um, in, in minorities, Muslims, Jews, uh, favorably, unfavorably, or rather, or rather unfavorably, rather favorably? This is one of the approaches, which doesn't um, provides very valuable uh, data. The other is that they test stereotypes. So they test certain phrases, agreement, as you do in, in standardized uh, testing procedures, they test certain statements, like uh, Jews have too much influence in the global world or in the financial markets, or Jews are more loyal to Israel than to their own country, these kind of things. So obviously, what, what you have then is that you can produce comparable data. Now. Our interest was, let's look at Spain more directly and let's uh, have a qualitative approach because there are no qualitative studies on uh, images, views, opinions on Jews in Spain 
and we were interested in the language of the participants. What language do they use uh, in terms of what are the, what's the everyday knowledge they use to make sense or to, to produce, or what's the images of Jews that they have in mind. So this uh, you can only do with, uh, either with ethnography or with group discussions. Before we jump into sort of the nuts and bolts of how you did the project, why didn't you just first start with what were some of the major findings in the study so that we can have that okay. in mind as we learn more about the methods? So what, did, what were the kind of the takeaways? Well, major findings is, uh, I mean, there is persisting anti-Semitism. That's a, it's a fact. But what's interesting is that the central explanatory variable for this persisting anti-Semitism is still religion. And this was a question that we had. Is religion, since Spain is a dominantly, still today, Catholic country, or people identify themselves about 79, 80% as Catholics, even if they don't practice. So to what extent is this, are these Catholic uh, roots of, of Spanish society or still the presence of, of Catholic religions one of the sources of anti-Semitic stereotypes? So this was a question. Now, despite secularization, we see that this that religion is still important in the way that individuals may will make sense. So somehow in their images of 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 what of Jews, we have to say here too that it's always images of Jews because the Jewish population in Spain is, is ridiculously low. So the possibility of a of a real interaction of a real experience with Jewish people is is uh, inexistent. So we're always talking about a, a particular image of, of Jews, or what do we associate with Jews, or the connotation that the term Jew or Judaism or the state of Israel will trigger in individuals. So what we see is that religion and Catholicism is a sort of matrix uh, that affects other dimensions of uh, negative perceptions of Jews, such as, a, and, and here we have obviously the a broader theoretical framework of history of anti-Semitism and theory of racism and anti-Semitism, where you see religious anti-Semitism, modern anti-Semitism, which is mostly from the 19th century that where other stereotypes and prejudices appear, and then the so-called new anti-Semitism, which is very contested and debated, but still we wanted to test it through those discussion groups. It's, and this new anti-Semitism is more related to the Middle East conflict and to particular representations of the Middle East conflict. When you're designing the study, you said that the the questions or the approach kind of came from being dissatisfied with the methods that were already out there. Um, but for this project, was it that kind of dissatisfaction that drove the project, or was it the, your research questions, or was it both kind of at once? I would say it's it, it's three factors. It that is it's a dissatisfaction with uh, the studies that were available, uh, a research question that. I myself and also others in this research team had for some time since we had worked on uh, on perceptions of Jews, of uh, representations of the Arab-Israeli conflict in Spanish media. There was that interest, and third, there was a funding source, which is always important, <laughs> particularly if you if you have uh, a project that is costly, like this one. When you were designing it, did you consider other approaches than having this group-based discussion? Or was this always kind of what you thought you'd do? We thought that from the beginning we wanted we wanted to do this. Now the limitation to organize group discussion is a costly uh, endeavor. Uh, you have to uh, pay a gift or give a gift certificate to each of the participants. If you, let's say you organize six groups, each of these groups has eight people, then you have to rent a room, you have to pay transcriptions, you have to pay for the video. It's costly. That means that you can't do as many groups as you would like. Why don't you tell us about how you kind of arranged this project, how you got people there, how you, so basically how you collected your data, and then what your sampling strategy was. When you make your design, 
the groups have to be internally homogeneous and externally heterogeneous. So what is important is that all the individuals of one of these group settings, that they share uh, um, certain similarities in terms of age, of political orientation, of uh, religious identification. So they have to be homogeneous. You cannot put together, uh, you know, activists, left-wing activists with a, uh, let's say, conservative uh, religious individual that might be from a different, totally different age. That that's not the idea. It's not that they engage in sort of a, a disagreement. What we want to capture is the, the discursive formation that they will share, not what makes them different. That would be a different method. So in that sense, we have homogeneous groups, internally homogeneous groups. One of them, retired individuals in one of the villages in central Spain, Catholics in Castellón, eastern Spain, very, uh, let's say, politically active, uh, conservative, executive businessmen in Madrid, 40 to 50 years, that was another group, university students in Barcelona, employees, journalists, state employees, this would be the liberal mainstream, uh, voters of PSOE, that would be the equivalent of the of Democrats in the US. So you see, these are quite different groups and we wanted to explore, well, what do they say? How do they uh, make sense of minorities? That's, a, that's, a, that's mm -hmm. an important thing because we didn't want to bring the topic right away. We wanted to see in what context the issue of Jews emerges spontaneously. Uh, that's something that these, uh, the service do not do. They mm -hmm. ask directly, what's mm -hmm. your opinion of Jews? What's your opinion of Muslims? Or uh, whatever, Jews have too much power in the world. Mm -hmm. So that's a way of, of, of directly addressing an issue that might be not entirely relevant. And it's creating sometimes an opinion of somebody that has never heard about it. So here we want to see where is... Um, so when will that emerge and in relation to what? So that's what we... Yeah. So how did you structure the groups? I mean, who was leading them and did you just bring topics up or how did that um, sort of look? Mm -hmm. like? So if you were a group participant, what would that experience be like? Yes, I think that the most, ob the most important objective in, in the moderation of uh, discussion groups is uh, the production of an autonomous group dynamic. That is very important. So the, the, the conversation has to flow. It means it's much more open than what a focus group would be. That is, as the name indicates, very focused and with much more intervention from the moderator. So here, the moderator has a very, very, very important role. His role is to keep the flow, to keep this production of, of, um, of the group dynamic it, without being too, uh, without intervening too much. So usually the group has two parts, and the group takes about around 90 minutes to two hours. And there's a cultural aspect here too. I wonder if you can do so long groups in the U.S. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure. It, you know, S Spain is Southern Europe. These are countries where conversa long conversations take place. So somehow this is very much rooted also in the the, 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 the cultural context where conversation exists and is a normal, is a given. So that, that's something to, to take into consideration here. Now, the first part of the group uh, dynamic is very open. And we had here a first stimulus that did not even address the issue of Jews. It was so open uh, that uh, the topic that the moderator introduced 
he said, well, we're working on a study on minorities in Spain, religious minorities. So to give an idea of what a religious minority is, he mentioned Muslims, Protestants, and Jews. These are also the minorities that are somehow the other in Spain in Spanish history, which is also interesting. Giving this stimulus, what will people, what did people start talking about? They talked about Muslims. Why? Because Muslims is a relatively recent immigration, Arab Muslims, and this is the, the visible other in Spain. So immediately the discussion was about Muslims, about different uh, customs and different, uh, you know, the, the visibility of Muslims. You know, something that you find across Europe and probably also in the U.S. Uh, very stigmatized and racialized views of, of Muslims, but the issue of Jews didn't show up from the very beginning. It appeared later, and sometimes in, in most of the groups only as a reaction of an intervention of the moderator. There's, there's this vagueness at the beginning, which is recommended, it's a demonstrative vagueness, and the group um, moderator has to conduct that with a lot of sensitivity, giving the possibility to everybody to speak, avoiding um, dominant voices in the group, and at the same time deepening when there is a subject that uh, applies directly to one of our research questions. So, yeah, more or less is easy. And how did you recruit people um, into the study, or what did you tell the participants about what they were doing? Participants uh, heard from a third person, and that's how we, you contact these people, uh, these are people that are contacted through, uh, mostly through a company that does uh, public opinion or market research. And uh, what they knew, it's a study about minorities, about minorities in Spain. Again, very vague. They didn't, they, they were coming and didn't really know what was expected from them. So there was a bit of uh, conversation at the beginning and the moderator had to, you know, introduce it in a way to, to start the discussion dynamic flowing. And another thing important here is to also that the group that's, does not exist at the beginning, the group is formed through conversation. And a group and a good group dynamic will be uh, the outcome of uh, a, a good moderation and of this, the correct selection of group participants. As, as, so as you're conducting these groups, uh, what kind of barriers did you have to deal with? Or what were some of the unexpected challenges that mm. came up, either in large-scale, kind of the whole project, or even just within some of the group settings? Well, one of the challenges that you find in group discussion, I mean, this is a, this is a certain artificiality to the method in the sense, we are not, as I said, we're not talking about real groups. Individuals do not know each other. And sometimes, since they will be compensated, you have people in Spain, we call them gruperos, like groupers. <laughs> These are people who have been several times to group discussions for the compensation. That's something you want to avoid. Because then, there, obviously, there's no frankness, there's no spontaneity, and uh, often these participants will more or less identify what the subject of research is. So this is something uh, to avoid, and this is like the... Uh, when you do this type of research, uh, something you, you're you always like uh, wary of. Another thing that I think is important in group discussions is who is the moderator. And, for instance, I was not the moderator. i tell you why I wasn't the moderator. I, my background is an immigrant background in Spain. And this will be identified. My, my accent 
is very neutral in Spanish. If it's Spanish accent, it's neutral. It cannot be identified from a particular region. Now, we wanted a moderator who would um, somehow resonate with all the different groups. Now, you cannot choose somebody from Barcelona, for instance, who will have a very strong Catalan accent. And so we, the moderator, which is, uh, is a colleague, is somebody from southern Spain, which is a region in Spain that is very much liked everywhere. <laughs> uh, Andalusia. Mm -hmm. And the Andalusian accent is, we would say, sort of the Spanish accent par excellence. So here, it is very important how do they perceive the moderator. I mean, the moderator carries with him the entire, uh, he's a research project in that he is uh, the person that when they ask what all this, uh, all this is about, the moderator will be crucial. So somebody, since this is about otherness in Spain, minorities and a collective us, and you will always see, I mean, group discussions, but you always, there is an us because the people that you have selected uh, share uh, certain elements that make them a collectivity and they should feel that they belong to each other. Now, of course, the moderator cannot belong to all groups, but you have to find a way, a, a sort of neutrality uh, so that he can uh, relate to all the different individuals without creating barriers. And, you know, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, can, I never even would have thought about that. It's sort of like in the U.S. finding someone from like Illinois, or, you know, like a, maybe yes, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> when you were running these groups, how did you capture the data, and then how did you organize and analyze it? Mm. I mean, we analyze within the interpretative paradigm, so we're qualitative researchers, and so we want to go beyond the level of description and summary. We use the discourse analysis approach, so combining micro and macro. Micro in the sense of you know, the linguistic structure, metaphors, argumentation, etc. And the macro level of discourse, you know, ideology, social practice, this, let's say, these patterns of orientation that explain uh, particular utterances, particular narratives, argumentations. So this combination of micro and macro was our, let's say, theoretical approach to data analysis. Now, when we do data analysis, we look at the transcription, we look at the video, and it was also group analysis. Three people analyzed the the videos and the transcripts. In the transcripts, I usually what I do is I create a template with four columns where I have, in the first column, I have like general themes that would be a bit more the descriptive level. Then I have the um, quotations, the language itself that I find um, relevant in each particular of these themes. Then the third column is sort of structural analysis where I try to identify sorts of symptoms of meaning patterns of semantic axes, etc. And the fourth column, and this column is very important in this kind of research, I would say in any research, uh, but here even more is, uh, I, I call it reflexivity. What do, we, what do we analyze there is, well, much of the things that are said are products of specific interactions. And not only that, often they are reactions to specific interventions of the moderator. So if you want to have an, if you want to properly analyze that, you always have to take all of that into account. And I would say that the visual analysis of the, of the, you know, of the group discussion, the video, helps you also to identify uh, this uh, aspect of reflexivity, of reactivity, uh, because any intervention 
causes a particular reaction. What you need to know is to be aware of that and uh, incorporate that into your analysis, not to overinterpret. So, yeah, I love that. That's I like having that visual of the columns that really clarifies that. It's interesting. So we in our methods classes talk a lot about generalizability and validity. And, you know, in this kind of interpretive work, how does that fit into your project? And or what kind of discussions did you have with your co-authors? In qualitative analysis, are results generalizable? Well, yes and no. Here with group discussions, ideally, you would have two groups for each of the milieus that you're analyzing. That's ideal because then you have saturation of discourse and then that's the way uh, that you can uh, figure out whether this happened in a particular instance or is something that uh, there's a pattern here. Now, doing two two groups of each of, of, of these different uh, milieus that we've located would be extremely costly. Now, it's always a balance between what you can within the, between the ideal and what you can do. In research methods in general, in life, that's that's how it is. So how how do you compensate? How do you balance that? I think it has to do with there's also there's always first of all there's always an exploratory nature in this type of research. Now here we are not uh, charting totally new territory, but we are a research group that have worked on issues of racism and anti-Semitism in Spain. Spanish history in relation to its others before. So that in, when, you, when you do qualitative uh, research methodology, your, your, your uh, finesse in, anal in analyzing and in extrapolating your results are very much grounded in your general background and knowledge of a, of a topic. Mm -hmm. And in this sense, it is, uh, I, I, you know, it's not just the method in itself, it's the method and the researcher which have to take decisions whether particular results are generalizable or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this leads really well into the next question, which is the idea of positionality. And mm. so you, I think, already made a really important point here when you talked about choosing the moderator, and because that, that's really yeah, the direct positionality. Um, is there anything else about sort of just the, the Spanish context or the context of the researchers in these groups um, that mattered as you were designing the project? There was one aspect here that is interesting, that this is a discussion group uh, method-based, a discussion group-based uh, research. However, I would say that there's a larger framework, we, we may call it a larger ethnographic framework, which, in which this study is embedded. So when we first started, and when we approached the institution that was funding this, uh, this in itself was part of the study. Because, for instance, when, when we mentioned our insatisfaction with other studies, like the Pew Global Research Study or the Anti-Defamation League Study, one of the reactions that we got is, well, you know who's behind those studies. So they were, you know, which was a clear anti-Semitic statement from one of the... Um, I don't want to give names here, but one of the institutions that we approach for, uh, uh, for uh, you know, the, the sources for funding. So in that sense, a study is always embedded in a larger framework, and the fact that anti-Semitism is not acknowledged at all, and 
as the as the essay says, this sort of normalcy of anti-Semitic statement. I mean, this was was extremely relevant data for us, as even you know exactly as much as as the statements uh, that we will uh, analyze later from the discussion group. Mm -hmm. And then I guess there's also another layer of positionality, which is the relative position of the people in the group as they're participating. And so, um, no, what were the ways that they sort of interacted with each other when they were talking about ideas about race or religious identity? And maybe just an example or two of how that kind of bubbled yeah. up, given that they were purposely put into groups of other similar people. Yes. At the beginning, people don't really know what this is all about what the moderate they expect from them. So they will be very timid uh, in their uh, first statements and that's why the group will, you know, there's a warming up of the group. And I would say that, that the first half hour is sort of, you know, there's not really much relevant things in there. The group is starting to warm up and, you know, to identify, to establish relationship between each other, to identify themselves as being part of the same group or not. And if they don't identify the other as part of the same group, then what you have is that people will shut, will shut up. They won't say anything. That's also, you can see that clearly in the, in the video. That's why you have eight people usually. Because there's always somebody that is not really participating. Now, when you have from eight people, four people are not participating, then you've done something wrong. You've done something wrong in your, in your design. Uh, so that's, you know, that these are issues of, 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 of positionality. And that well, you have to think very well how you how you design those groups, on the type of topic and the composition of the group, age, class, ideology, whatever. And of course, there there are aspects that you can that are difficult to address in a group discussion, drugs, prostitution, sexuality. These are issues that I mean, this this would be one of the limitations of the group discussion. But you c this is not a method for for addressing or to to. Uh, but I would say that stereotypes and you know racialized categorization, you are at the limit. So there are things that you can expect people to say and others not. And it's all about the confidence that they will feel in that group. It's anonymous. Uh, they don't know each other. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. And so there should be f it should be a safe space to say whatever they want. As you were designing the study and then writing up your results, uh, what were you thinking in terms of your intended audience? You know, was this um, more of an academic project or was it, were you kind of speaking across different groups or institutions or how did you think about that? I think there were two, like, two goals. One was a, an academic goal, a pure academic goal to explore this from a different perspective, uh, to gain a data that, uh, obtain a type of data that had not been really analyzed until now. But on the other hand, this, and but this uh, did not go anywhere. We, we, we thought this could be an exploratory study on which later you could base a much more uh, grounded and specific questionnaire for, um, for, for a study on uh, images of Jews, Judaism, and the state of Israel in Spain. This didn't happen. Uh, it didn't depend on us. But so we, we it finally remained being an academic project with you know, sort of a intellectual curiosity curiosity was fulfilled but we couldn't go into that second phase which would have been designing well we designed a question actually but that the study never uh, got funded mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
But in that way, it sort of served the purpose of providing this fertile ground for next research because this is this kind of more exploratory research has yes, already been done. Because that's also important to say, discussion groups are very uh, is a very good method for um, as a first phase for um, survey design mm -hmm. for questionnaire design on specific topics where you just don't know the language that is used mm -hmm. so you want to to fine-tune language into relevant categories for your uh, yeah for your sample. Mm -hmm. well, that's great so um, at the end of our our podcast interviews here we ask you to share kind of um, some tricks of the trade or some practical tips for anyone else who's going to do this project. And then we close by talking about the limitations and then sort of what you see as the, the major benefits. I would say the design is, is there's, there's a, it's fundamental and there's a co immediate correlation between your theoretical, um, between, you know, what your theory, your, your hypothesis and how you, how you um, design the different groups. That's, that's fundamental. And then uh, moderation of the group and group interaction, group dynamics. You cannot have a person moderating a group that has not a clue of what the group dynamic is. And how about um, the limitations to this approach? Hmm. Well, as mentioned before, there are certain topics you, that are not suited for group discussions. No? As mentioned, like drugs, prostitution, sexuality. Groups tend also, another limitation is groups tend to consensus in group. And dissent is often not voiced, so you don't know if there's dissent or not. So, if so, here you want to see the consensus of the group. Now, if you may have a totally different research question, you want to see uh, maybe there's another. Well, I want to go into the detail of that. There's the so-called triangular groups. I don't know if you have them here. So, if you want dissent, you, you put three people together. <laughs> that's quite a, mm -hmm. something that happens often because two will ally and one will be but that's a different type of research mm -hmm. what we try to have with group discussions is find access to this structure of, of, of meaning and orientation uh, uh, which actually exceeds the perspective of those on the research but for this the, the, the group will you will find access to that through a group discussion and um, I would say that limitation and benefit. I mean, the groups produce consensus, and but you need to know if if that's what you're looking at, the consensual elements within one group, mm -hmm. something that everybody will agree with. A limitation and the virtue of group discussion. I would put it this way: there's nothing a group discussion will uh, provide that you cannot get through a very good ethnography. Now, group discussions are efficient. If you want to do this study through an ethnography, you need at least a year. And maybe there will, will, will be some locations of discourse or discourse formations that you will have will be very hard to access. So this is a way to bypassing some of these limitations. You bring those people into a room and you get them to talk. There's a certain artificiality in that. Uh, I, I, I see that. But... Um, and that artificiality is a limitation and at the same time it's what makes it efficient because within a month and a half you can have very valuable data. Yeah, I like that because it's, it, it's sort of the double-edged sword of any research project, right? Probably, yeah. yeah. 
Well, those are all our questions. Thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. On behalf of me, Kyle Green, and my co-producer, Sarah Logason, thank you for listening. And remember, please, give methods a chance.